10 months old. And my mother has to raise six of us up, ranging from 10 months to 9 years old. And, um, and my grandmother think that my mother won't be able to do that, to raise six of us up between the age of 10 months to 9 years old, all by herself. So she kept telling my mom to give up the last two, which I'm the youngest one, to give it away in those days. And now, of course, we call it adoption, uh, to give the last two away. Uh, but my mother uh, wouldn't be able to do that. Wouldn't be able to do that. She said, no matter how, I would do it myself. I will look after my child. And uh, she probably died of exhaustion um, at the age of 39. So mother's love is, is incredible. And so I just want to share this simple uh, story. Let me just pray and I'll shift gear and change to a complete different topic on uh, just in line with our mission month. Father, thank you for, for your great love that we just sang about. Um, we, we can never fully comprehend on the kind of love because we we never able to experience it here on earth. Uh, but when we encounter you, when we know you, when we look at the cross, uh, we have no doubt that you love us. And because that is humanity's greatest problem. Most of us are not properly loved because uh, all of us are fallen creatures. And when we encounter God, who is perfect being, uh, love can be perfect, unconditional, unfailing, and when we experience that love, it will transform us. So bless this morning as we uh, meditate on your word. Speak to us, Lord, and change us to be more like Jesus. Amen. Well, we are looking at the mission month this, this month. This month of May has always been set aside for mission. And I've been asking myself this question. What does Christianity actually have to offer to the world? What does Christianity actually have to offer to the world? Is it making poverty history? Is it stop human trafficking? Is it about climate change? What does Christianity have to offer to the world? What is the message that we are giving? Why do we do mission work? What is it that we are trying to offer to the world? And if I may... At this start, to just say that we have the gospel to give to the world. And I want to revisit this gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the core of the Christian message, the Christian thing that we can offer to the world, that we believe. That is why all through the ages we've been doing mission, and there's no doubt that outflowing from that, it has transformed the entire world. Whether it's the founding of university or social work, or everything is all done by Christians' principles and knowledge from the beginning. But at, at the same time, this gospel has changed. This gospel has been compromised. This hard-called true gospel that we know in the Scripture has been shifted gear and changed to something that is so different from the original gospel. If you have time today or next few days, go to YouTube and just type in this word, the American gospel. You have to pay to watch, but there's a one 
hour documentary on this thing that I will be touching on, the American gospel. The gospel that now has been presented is actually exported by the Americans. It's called the American gospel, in line with the American dreams that has been exported to Middle East, to Nigeria, to other parts of the world in preaching this seemingly gospel, which really, it is no gospel at all. Many Christians have the misconception that to win the world to Christ, we must first win the world's favour. If we can get the world to like us, they will embrace our Saviour. And that is the philosophy behind what we call the user-friendly, seeker-friendly, sensitive kind of church movement. It is to appeal to people whether it is through music or through the style that we present, get them like us. Maybe when they begin to like us, there is a chance that they will embrace this gospel message that we are going to preach. Since the unsaved consumers do not desire God or the things of God, they have to be enticed by something else. And thus the temptation then arises for a church to change or at least hide who they are so that they appeal to the unchurched people. Additionally, the church is tempted to alter its message to correspond with what the unchurched wants to hear and things he needs. And the end result is a felt-need gospel that appeals to people's fallen nature in an effort to entice him or her to come to Christ who is the ultimate felt need supplier, so that, so that he is fulfilled and feels better about himself. So this gospel that has been popularized nowadays is known as the gospel of felt need, the gospel of fulfillment, that God is here to fulfill your dreams here on earth. God is here to supply and f- and fulfill your felt needs that you lack, you're lonely, you are this, this, and God is there to, to meet all your needs on that ground. You know, sociologist Robert Woodruff, attempting to examine modern Christianity, suggests that in contemporary America, God has been molded, listen to this, God has been molded to satisfy people's needs. God is relevant to contemporary Americans mainly because the sense of God's presence is subjectively comforting. And that is religion solves personal problems rather than addressing broader questions. And therefore, there's a movement that is started which we have now known as a seeker-sensitive marketing technique which popularized by Bill Hybels in Chicago called the... uh, what is the church known as? Slip up my mind now. You'll come back. Willow Creek. That's right. Willow Creek. Uh, marketing savvy demands that the offense of the cross must be downplayed. Salesmanship requires that negative subjects like divine wrath be avoided. Consumer satisfaction means that the standard of righteousness cannot be raised too high. The seeds of a watered-down gospel are thus sown in very philosophy that drives many ministries today. I was a salesman. 
I used to sell encyclopedia. It cost $2,500. That was 30 years ago. How do you sell $2,500 paper to people? That most of the time is ended up sitting on a shelf at the display furniture that no one used. But I sell very well because I know how to sell. I know how to appeal to people's needs. I know how to appeal to their emotional, ask them to sacrifice for their children and all that. And ended up they buy into something that they don't actually need. I know what it is like to sell things. Pandering to what people like and want. Do some marketing survey. What are their needs? And then you modify it to suit them. And that is modern church growth movement. So salvation is not simply under the new gospel, the forgiveness of sin and the imputation of righteousness. It is not a deliverance from the wrath of God upon a deserving and rebellious people that we all know. But the new gospel is a liberation from low self-esteem. A freedom from emptiness and loneliness. It is a means of fulfillment and excitement, a way to receive our heart's desires, a means of meeting our needs. The old gospel is about God and the new gospel is about us. The old gospel is about sin, the new gospel is about needs. The old gospel is about our need for righteousness the new gospel is about our need for fulfillment. The old gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but the new gospel is attractive. Many are flogging to the new gospel, but it is altogether questionable how many are actually being saved. A.W. Tozer, classic author, many years ago, said this, he said, a new wind blowing across the fields of the evangelical church. If I see aright, the cross of popular evangelicalism is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a new bright ornament upon the, bos the bosom of self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men, but the new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned, but the new cross amuses the old cross destroys confidence in the flesh, but the new cross encourages it. Nothing in Scripture indicates that the church should lure people to Christ by presenting Christianity as an attractive option. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There is no way to make it otherwise and be faithful to the message. Because the message, if you really study the gospel message, it is disagreeable, it is unattractive, it is repulsive, it is alarming to the world, it exposes sin, it condemns pride, it convicts the unbelieving heart, it shows human righteousness even the best. Most appealing aspects of human nature in the context of salvation to be worthless, defiled, and even as a filthy rags. Your best work you can do on earth in the eyes of God is a filthy rags. How are you going to be saved? In the context of salvation, okay, not in the context of social work and all that. Peter Jennings, the late uh, ABC American journalist, to my knowledge, is not a believer. 
But in 1995, he did a documentary called In the Name of God. And he asked a thought-provoking question in the documentary. He said, as these churches, because there was the early church of the mega church movement and uh, the seeker-sensitive seeker type of movement church, he said, as these churches try to attract sell-out crowds, are they in danger of selling out the gospel? Let me repeat that again. As these churches try to attract sell-out crowds, are they in danger of selling out the gospel? Oz Guinness, in one of his books, God in the Dark, The Assurance of Faith Beyond a Shadow of Doubt, he says this, he says, Sometimes when I listen to people who say they have lost their faith, I am far less surprised than they expect. If their view of God is what they say, then it is only surprising that they did not reject it much earlier. Other people have a concept of God so fundamentally false that it would it will be better for them to doubt than to remain devout. The more devout they are, the uglier their faith will become since it is based on a lie. Doubt in such a case is not only highly understandable, it is even a mark of spiritual and intellectual sensitivity to error, for their picture is not of God, but an idol. Os Guinness is basically saying, if you believe in the wrong God, it is better for you to doubt than to remain devout, because it will become even uglier. Many years ago, Jesus already warned us that. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Please look at the words carefully. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Meaning to say, it is not easily recognizable. And 1 Timothy 4, Paul says this, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. And in 2 Timothy, he went on to say, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. I've never come across a generation that has so much eye in front of everything. Or self. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And the times that the Apostle Paul warned about in the above passages that I've just read to you have certainly come upon us. Events and trends 
within the church and in society are sufficient evidence that we do live in dangerous times. These are times in which it is becoming more difficult to differentiate between faith and fantasy. That's why they say that when you don't believe in God, it's not that you don't believe in nothing. No, sorry, let me rephrase that again. When you don't believe God, it's not that you believe in nothing. You actually believe in everything. These are times in which it is becoming more difficult to differentiate between faith and fantasy, between devotion to Christ and religious delusion. We live in times when the line between churches and cults are so thin that people easily mistake spiritism for spirituality. These are strange times indeed, times when people wholeheartedly follow strange teachings and philosophies even within the church, times of strong addiction to seducing spirits and times when leaders feed their flocks with false doctrines. As regards to the content and practice of the gospel, only those with discernment who understand the times and refuse to compromise their vision know the difference between the true and the counterfeit gospel. The shift, there is a shift. The shift from Christocentric gospel, which is gospel focused on Christ, the shift from a Christocentric gospel to one that appeals more to the satisfaction of our immediate appetites has produced what has been described as adulterated or fraudulent Christianity. It has also been called a fluffy or a crossless gospel. One pastor bluntly calls it the gospel of greed. It is a gospel that tends to make life here on earth as convenient as possible without preparing people for eternity. And that is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it is cheap grace. Because he said cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without repentance. Communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. St. Paul, many, many years ago, was fighting against the false gospel that was rising. He went to this place, he preached the gospel of grace, and then when he left, false teacher came in, preached another gospel subtly. Remember, it's very subtle, it's not outright wrong. As I said before many times, a clock that is wrong, the clock that is not working, twice a day it is telling you the correct time. It's easier to reject outright falsehood, but it's harder when it's mixed with truth, half-truth, of course. And Paul went away and this gospel came in and Paul heard about it and he has to write to address this in Galatians chapter 1. Read to this. It sounds like nowadays he says this. Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, other than the one we preach to you, 
Let them be under God's curse. And then he repeat that again in verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say it to you again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Let them be eternally damned. If you embrace the other gospel other than the one I preach to you. The days we live in demand that we not only take this word seriously, but also examine ourselves to know if we are still in the faith or not. Because we are surrounded on all sides by preachers of a different gospel who twist the word of God to suit their desired ends. By manipulating the Bible, they distort the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and mislead those who are not careful enough to see through their deceit. And that's why the old words by Karl Barth, the German theologian in the 20th century, these words are so profound in this critical time of history. He says this, he says, The word of God is not for sales, and therefore it has no need of shrewd salesmen. The word of God is not seeking patrons, and therefore it refuses price-cutting and bargaining. Therefore, it has no need of middlemen. The Word of God does not compete with other commodities which are being offered to men on the bargain counter of life. It does not care to be sold at any price. It only desires to be its own genuine self without being compelled to suffer alterations and modifications. It will, however, not stoop to overcome resistance with bargain counter methods. Promoters' success are sham victories. Their crowded churches and the breathlessness of their audiences have nothing in common with the Word of God. My friend, we must be absolutely convinced of this gospel. Jesus is not for sales. We don't have to market Jesus. We don't have to make him more appealing. We just need to be confidently believe in this gospel because this gospel will offend. Unless it offends, it is not the true gospel. I take my philosophy of ministry from the book of Timothy. As a pastor, these are the advice from Paul in 2 Timothy. He said, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who were just the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Interesting, isn't it? in season and out of season. Doesn't matter when. Doesn't matter when. In season or out of season, doesn't matter if it's the first century, third century, fifth century, sixth century, tenth century, twentieth century, twenty-first century, twenty-second century. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuild, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they will gather themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside 
to miss. And then Paul said, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Clearly, 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 if I read from Paul, there was no room in Paul's philosophy of ministry for the give people what they want theory that is so prevalent today. He did not urge Timothy to conduct a survey to find out what his people wanted, which is, if you're familiar, which is Robert Schuller. If you go to America, I can't remember which city, there's a uh, cathedral, Crystal Cathedral Church, has been sold now to a Catholic church, went through bankruptcy and all that. He started this positive thinking type of messages that he went around his neighborhood, do survey and see what they need, and then they designed the, the church to suit their needs and all that. But there was nothing of that sort mentioned in the scripture. Paul would not have approved in any way if Timothy had catered to the demands of his audience. On the contrary, Paul commanded his prodigy to preach the word faithfully, patiently, reprovingly, and confront the spirit of the age head on. So what is this gospel? I want to finish by reading to you this gospel. This gospel you must have confidence in. This is the gospel that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, which means the good news I preach to you, which you receive and on which you have taken your stand. So one of the effects of the gospel is that the foundation is strong. You can stand on it. Like the hymn that we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. What is the next sentence? No one. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other grounds are sinking sand. So one of the effects of the gospel is that you are able to stand on a solid rock. And here Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, the second effect is that you are saved. So this gospel, not only you can stand on a solid rock, you won't sink, but by this gospel, you are saved. So only this gospel that Paul is saying to, to you, Paul is saying to us, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And what is this gospel? He said, this is this. He said, for what I, for what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Jesus' death on the cross is for our sins, which means to say that we are sinners, which is offensive to most people. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. 
Of course, our, the sin that we talk about in Scripture is not about just the external sin. You lie, you, you murder, you don't help your mother to, to do this, you know, to, to do dishes. Or, you know, it's not about this kind of external sin. This is the lowest form. If this is the hierarchy of sin, this is the lowest measurement of sin. Lowest of all. Of, of, of all. And that is why people say that they are not sinners because they are, they are thinking of sin as this kind of external means which, which most of us are not in that sense. But the scripture talk about sin is not just only on this aspect but also your attitude, your thinking that is inside of you that no one can see. They even go to the extent of saying that if you have anger in your heart, you are committing murder. You have lust in your mind, you are committing adultery. So in that sense, we are all sinners because the, the sin measurement standard is so high. And not only that, the even harder one is that the Bible tells us the whole nature of ourselves, the whole nature is, is lean, gravitate towards sinning. That when no one is watching, no one knows, you're not accountable to anyone, the propensity to do wrong is there rather than do good. Just imagine you have no one, no accountability, no one knows, perfect. The propensity of human heart is slight towards doing wrong than good. So the whole concept of sin is that way of measurement. And therefore in the eyes, because of Adam's and all subsequent born into this world, we are all sinners. That's why Asis Pro, the Reformed theologians say that we are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Because we already inherited with the sin in our lives. Already when we are born into this world. And therefore, the gospel message that we have, Christianity, the gospel message we have is that Christ died for our sin, is to redeem us. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And that part of it needs to be settled first. All other form is just treating symptoms. As all doctors know, you don't just treat symptoms. The symptoms is for you to guide, for you to diagnose the real problem and you deal with that. And the gospel, we don't have to diagnose because the Bible already diagnosed for us about humanity's problem and that is our heart problem. And therefore, the gospel message then is this beautiful message of the cross that Christ come, die for you on the cross, be your saviour, set you free from your sin, to reconcile you to God. This is the gospel message. It is not just only to make you fulfilled, to take away your loneliness and make you the most fulfilled man or woman on earth. You know, it's not that kind of gospel message that the new gospel is going down the pathway of doing that. And then not only that, Paul went on to say the first, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel message. Christ died for our sin, he was buried, and he raised from the dead. It's all about God doing the, sending Jesus Christ fulfilled the salvation plan for us, redeeming us. This is the gospel message that has passed through, through the ages, not the modern day gospel that is very troublesome nowadays. And that is precisely, as you will hear, some of you will hear on Easter Sunday, on baptism. 
Did you realize the symbolic of baptism is exactly reflecting the gospel? That you die with Christ for your sin, you bear it, and you raise again for life. And Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has dawned. Because now the Holy Spirit will reign in you, and you are going to live for Christ. And all this make poverty history, building bridges and bringing clean water, then become our Christian work. Outflow from someone who has been redeemed from this gospel message. So my friend, today, uh, my contribution to this mission month is just to revisit, to revisit this gospel that we have to contribute to the world. That's why we do mission work. That's why we do evangelism because of this gospel message that can transform human heart. Don't just treat symptoms. You can be friend to people, nice to them, lead them on, you know, be a, be a good friend, be a good listener. But at the end of the day, the heart of the gospel is this. And then Paul went on to read through, which I have no time to go on to talk about. He appeared to to, to Cephas and the twelve. And after that, uh, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then he appeared to James, which is the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. And then Paul said, last, last of all, he appeared to me. He appeared to me, which is the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he said this, For by grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them, yet not, I, not, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. This is the gospel message that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins. That means we have to come before God in repentance of our sins. And then, you bear it with Him, you rise with Him. The Holy Spirit begins to live in you, and then you went on to live as a believer. Let me close with this quote. Jeffrey Wilson, one of the commentators, he says this. He said, The unpopularity of a crucified Christ has prompted many to present a message which is more palatable to the unbeliever. But the remover of the offense of the cross always renders the message ineffective. An inoffensive gospel is also an inoperative gospel. And thus, he says this solemn words, and thus, Christianity is wounded most in the house of its friends. Can I repeat the last sentence again? An inoffensive gospel is also an inoperative gospel. Thus, Christianity is wounded most in the house of its friends. That means we Christians had not do the gospel justice by removing away its offensive mark. And therefore, we are producing believers that initially believers, but as they say, as the church, you bring in more people, the back door is wide open as well where people depart. 
J.C. Wright says this, a cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. Solemn words. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. So this is the gospel that we have. And this is what Christianity to me offers the world with a genuine hope of treating the real problems of humanity's heart. We offer the world a genuine hope. This genuine hope can only become a reality through the unadulterated, authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. And may you and I be convinced and, and passionate about this gospel. Don't have to be embarrassed. Be firm on this gospel message that we have that has entrusted to us by Jesus Christ to preach it to the world. Let's pray, shall we? Father, it's a difficult message for me to preach. Uh, yet at the same time, it's a timely reminder to me of this gospel message that we have, which over the years has been diluted, over the years has been compromised, over the years has been changed to meet the needs of humanity. And as a result, we produce all kinds of people who call themselves believers, but have not truly taken up the cross and followed Jesus. And when crises strike, when trials happen, their faith will be blown away just like a chaff. Lord, as we think of Mission Month this month, as we think about the gospel message, as we talk about sending people out, supporting our missionaries in the field, may we here in the home country here be convinced of this gospel message that we have, which is good news, the good news of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who was buried, who was raised and ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit comes, commissioned the disciples to go and bring this authentic undoubted message to the world. Lord, change us. Give us confidence of this gospel message that we have. As we sing this closing song, help us to be reminded of this gospel message that we can continue to go and preach it to the world. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.